Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And, wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone, this is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please, send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Teese, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that right? What we're drinking? It's amazing. It's amazing. Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von friends, and listen to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. M.S.W. Media. Prevail. C'est Geneva Programma Pro Politico. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Tabro de pouls de la démocratie. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, con ustedes, su anfitrion. I'm Greg Oliar. This is season six of Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Denver Riggleman is here. Denver, of course, the senior technical advisor for the January 6th committee. Before that, Congressman, Republican Congressman from the state of Virginia. He was an intelligence officer. NSA advisor, ran his own business, and he's the author with Hunter Walker of The Breach, the untold story of the investigation into January 6th. 
He's also really funny. Like <laughs> um, sometimes the zoom doesn't work great at picking up the laughter, but there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of times that it sounds kind of clunky and it's because we're both laughing and zoom doesn't know how to record that properly. So uh, anyway, uh, for, for the amount of serious, scary stuff we discuss, it's pretty funny. He's a funny guy. Great conversation. Looking forward to bringing you that without commercial interruption for this uh, first episode in five weeks which is a long time. Thank you for being patient with me, letting me recharge the batteries, get some interviews going. Um, I'm super excited to be back. Uh, great season. This is going to be a fantastic season. Probably the best one yet. It's very Trumpy to say that. This is the best season we've had. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it, it kind of is. When I decided that I was going to take this little break, I did not know that I would be returning on Mugshot Week. <laughs> but, you know, here it is, Mugshot Week. I think he's been indicted twice since I've since I've been away. Twice? Three times? I don't know. Who can keep track of these things? He's been indicted a lot of times. This is Mugshot Week. It's been fun to look at these mugshots of these horrible traitors. And it's been fun to... Uh, fun isn't the right word. It's been satisfying and gratifying and validating to see people that we've been talking about for a long time finally have to face justice. You know, I'm talking about the John Eastmans, the the Kenneth, what's his name? Kenneth Cheesebro and uh, Jeffrey Clark, Meadows, Jenna Ellis, and, you know, of course, Rudy Giuliani. I mean, Giuliani is such a, a horrible guy. We're going to see this... Um, kind of revisionist take on him. Oh, he was so wonderful. He was America's mayor and then he fell. And I've been saying this for years now. No, that's not actually what happened. He's always been a piece of shit scumbag with one foot in organized crime. You know, his father was a mob guy. His father served time in Sing Sing in 1938 for sticking up a milkman. It's true. You can read about it. He was a low level mob flunky. So yes, did Rudy put people in jail? Sure. But what did that do? It opened up the way for one of the five families and the Russian mob to move into New York City. So good job, Rudy. It's also been well documented that the horrible decisions he made in advance of 9-11 made 9-11 a lot worse. I've written about this, you know, based on that book, Grand Illusion uh, by Wayne Barrett and Don, uh, Dan Barton. You know, that's what happened. It's it's factual stuff. He is uh, he's a fraud, you know. And uh, now he's going to be in prison probably for the rest of his life. So good, good. I don't know if people have read this, you know, Noel Dumphy, who was working for him for a while, uh, filed suit against him because he never paid her and sexually abused her and assaulted her in ways that really are so triggering and awful that I don't want to get into it now. Um, but I encourage everybody to read that document. It is such an indictment of this horrible, disgusting man, like every awful thing you thought about Rudy. Yeah, it's all there in the lawsuit. So, um, you know, this guy's his goose is cooked and good. Couldn't happen to a scummier guy. I'm very delighted about it. Also this week, you know, Prigozhin is dead. The leader of the Wagner group who uh, two months ago maybe looked like he was going to take over and usurp Putin. Um, you know, Icarus-like fell out of the sky. So RIP to one of the world's biggest uh, war criminal scumbags. Yeah, I'm not going to lose any sleep worrying about this guy. Uh, and people are like, well, the, the innocent crew members. Now, if you're flying on a plane with that guy on a small plane, it's not the same thing as being like a flight attendant on United. OK, everybody in that plane knew exactly who they were with and what they were doing. And I have zero sympathy for anybody. So I don't like it when people die. But in this case, eh, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. 
Leonard Leo, my nemesis, uh, my bugbear, Leonard Leo, uh, co-founder of the Federalist Society and uh, right-wing radical Catholic weirdo is the best way that I can describe him, in charge of all this dark money, in charge of installing all of these Supreme Court justices, and pretty much the man most responsible for overturning Roe is now under investigation by the D.C. Attorney General for all of his little financial shenanigans reported upon by ProPublica and Heidi Prisbola at Politico and others. Um, this is wonderful news because this guy is fucking awful. And, um, you know, the sooner that we get a little look at what he's doing, the better for democracy. Speaking of democracy, <laughs> that was the word emblazoned over, <laughs> over the stage on the Republican debate last night. I say last night, I'm recording this Thursday morning, and the, the word democracy is, is written on the Fox News banner as if trying to insist that that news organization and the people on the stage are somehow in service of democracy, which is ridiculous. Um, I guess fascism didn't fit well enough on the banner. Um, you know, nothing says democracy like pledging fealty to a four times indicted demagogue, which all of these fuckers did, except for Asa, whoever, and uh, Chris Christie, who, who I think has the lowest poll numbers across the board of everybody or of anybody. Um, I was reading like, like all demographics hate that guy, which is very funny. It's good stuff. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. Um, I was on this week, I was on a podcast called Funny Not Funny um, with Jim Anfantino and Lyle Casson. And we talked about my book, Empress, uh, The Secret History of Anna Kay. And it was, it was a real pleasure to go on a podcast and talk not about <laughs> horrible fuckery um, and to talk about my book. So if you read the book and you want to hear more about it and hear me talk about it, or if you're curious about my book, you know, go check out the podcast. It was really good. These are great guys, really smart guys. Um, I had a great time. It's a 700-page uh, historical novel about the Byzantine Empire, which doesn't exactly make people run to the old bookstore to pick it up, but, uh, you know, it's good. So check it out. I also have another book out, uh, Success Stories of a Failure Analyst, which is about my father-in-law, Franklin St. John. That one's much shorter and, and not about the Byzantine Empire. So uh, you could check that out, too, if you're so inclined. Um, okay, I'm allowing myself a little more prattle this morning, but because uh, I haven't seen you guys or talked to you guys in such a long time, and I have to get stuff off my chest. But the conversation with Denver was great. Uh, I made this point to him, but I want to I underscore it again here in the opening. We, the American people, were so, so, so lucky that he was in Congress and wasn't MAGA crazy and had the skill set that he had to be able to tackle this because a lot of the text messages and a lot of the stuff that came out of that committee that we read about subsequently came from his work. And, you know, you look at these people on Congress, I mean, these members of Congress and they're, you know, they're Luddites. They don't, they barely know how to use a phone, you know, so to have somebody who really knows what they're doing in terms of uh, comms uh, is spectacular. And to have somebody that dedicated and that um, you know, on the side of democracy, frankly. And, you know, if you're a Republican there, it's hard because you're turning your back on most of the party. You know, most of the Republican Party has been taken over by Trump, who's a fascist uh, demagogue. And that's it. It's no longer a functional party of the kind that we need in the United States. So to the Denver Riggleman's and Liz Cheney's, and we need more of that. We need Republicans who are not, you know, MAGA crazy. We need non-fascist Republicans desperately. We need a functional second party in this country. So I'm so grateful to him for his work 
and for his courage in you know going against the grain and uh, and for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Like I said, we laughed a lot despite talking about horrible things. There's one thing he says that I laugh for. I think I laugh for a full minute. So uh, <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Anyway, enough of my prattle. I hope everybody had a great summer. I did. I had a great summer. It was nice. It was nice to get away. I needed it. Um, I went down the shore. I went to Pittsburgh. I wrote about these things, but uh, it never would occur to me to go to Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh is pretty great. So if you're ever in that neck of the woods, go check it out. Wonderful place. Really had a good time there. Um, all right. That's enough for me. We'll be right back with Denver Riggleman. Pelosi should have done it in 19 when the Mueller report dropped, right? But the senators, they let him off, acquitted, just in time to screw up the response to COVID. Remember how he said it go away by Easter, then Biden, then J6, and one more impeachment. Ooh, 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 ooh. indicted now in Georgia too, and ooh, 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 this time, I'm telling you, I promise you, we and from Robert Kennedy but we will never ever ever re-elect the traitor we shall prevail I'd write on Twitter and how can we fail to reject the bullshitter they're the extremists not us we created the most secure border in US history we've got Mexico the GOP will nominate him because he's like, I was indicted for you. And I'm like, I just, this is exhausting, you know? Like, you're never getting back to the White House, Donald. Like, ever. No, we will never, ever, ever re-elect the traitor. We will never, ever, ever re-elect the traitor. We'll get help from Russia and from Robert Kennedy, but we will never, ever, ever re-elect the traitor. Denver Riggleman, welcome to Prevail. Ah, it's good to be here. Good to talk to you again, buddy. Yeah, it's great to see you. Um, thanks for taking the time. Now, people people listening, I'm sure know who you are because uh, we met, you were on the 5-8 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, you have a great, interesting background. You're an intelligence officer. You're an NSA advisor. You ran your own company doing uh, intelligence work. You're a congressman from Virginia. And then the senior technical advisor from the J6 committee. Um, you also managed to be married to someone who runs uh, the Silverback Distillery. So you're living a charmed right. life in, in 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 many ways. But before we get into all the nitty gritty, because I have two pages of things to ask you, um, tell everybody who might be listening that may not be familiar with you, how on earth you got to be where you are now. I know you cover this in your book, The Breach, which is an excellent book, but uh, not, not that we want to spend an hour here, but it's, it's it's an interesting background that you have. So I feel like we should start off there. Yeah, I mean, uh, background was I was raised very religious, but I um, I got married very young. I actually got kicked out of the Mormon, uh, the missionary training center when I was 19, more or less. 
uh, because I wasn't really living to the precepts of the gospel at the time. <laughs> so, but anyhow, um, so, uh, but, but I got married at 19 after I left the missionary training center and enlisted in the air force in 20, when I was 22. Um, at that point though, um, did pretty good. I found out I wasn't completely a moron, Greg. So, um, military then thought I was barely smart enough to go to school. So I got into UVA ROTC, became an intelligence officer, um, which was pretty crazy. But then started doing really nutty things like um, 99, going into Romanian-Serbian border, 2000 Oman, training Omanis on F-16 operations, which is odd with all the F-16s going to Ukraine right now. Uh, 2001, mission plan, the first volume runs into Afghanistan for 9-11. And then, you know, NSA special projects starting in 2003, 2007 or 2006, got assigned and asked to start the counter ID operations integration center for the NSA side of it, National Security Agency. 2007, started my own company. 2012, sold it. I supported National Security Agency, Air Force, Special Operations, Department of Treasury, other customers. And uh, then I was the CEO for that for three years. 2015, 2016, the Pentagon called. Senior consultant for electronic warfare and countermeasures, China and Russia. And then 2018, 2019, I accidentally won my congressional seat. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and through this whole time, who I am and what I've become is sort of a uh, I don't even know anymore, Greg. I thought I would be some trailblazing truth teller, but really, I think I just continually get my face ripped off uh, every time I try to, to to tell people what's going on, just using validated data for facts-based insights, which is, I think, the sentence everybody needs to use, not trying to be cocky. Um, but yeah, so there's <laughs> a lot of people are like, if they could see this in video, how glib I'm being, but also serious at the same time. So, you also uh, said, you know, something about taking your face <laughs> off. And then, and behind you is a mask hanging on the wall, which I think is... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Guy Falks back there. And, yep. um, and um, so, yeah, I got sent that. People, I don't know what they think I am. I guess I'm supposed to be uh, making sure I destroy a 16th or 17th century castle at some point in my life. But um, so um, there's... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that's... That's what I'm doing, brother. You know, I'm just um, uh, J6 committee. And then, of course, you know, when people found out I was doing forensics on Hunter Biden's devices and laptops and validating all their data, got nuts. And, and you know, and and I my phone rings off the hook. People want me to run for governor. They want me to run for Congress again. Or they, I have people calling from L.A. or New York or D.C. wanting, you know, I feel like a digital Ray Donovan, but a good guy. Um, so it's just been one of the most crazy times of my life. And on the other hand, I still have distilleries with my wife. I still have my kids and my grandkids. And so it's just interesting that I feel like since I've been out of Congress, I'm more probably more out there than I've ever been. And on the other hand, also maybe more burned out than I've ever been. So there's this really weird dynamic going on with me right now where I'm thinking, you know, how much how much longer can I do this? So there you go. That's I've been the, thinking I've been thinking that about my own work for the last seven years, and I just it's just you know, <laughs> just, you know I'm a novelist, man. I I just started writing about this because I felt like I had to, and here we are, it's seven years later, and I'm still writing about all this <laughs> all this fuckery, and it's crazy. Um, <laughs> it just it never it never ends. It never ends, it and never it's. Ends. You know, they keep pulling you out. They pull you back, you know, the whole Godfather 2 bit about uh, trying to leave. Um, so now the, the J6 stuff is 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 pretty interesting. Obviously, that's what your book is about. And you um, you left Congress, but you obviously, you know, probably uniquely among all the people uh, who serve in Congress, 
your skill set is very, very well suited to do what it was that you did. So you were the senior technical advisor. Um, what exactly was your primary mission there? What were you tasked with doing? Well, they didn't have a task. I made it up myself based okay. on when they, when they called me in there, they didn't even have a name for it. So I created their entire technical plan from the beginning, which uh, started, I think, in July or August of 2021. So I was very happy about that. And I had three pillars that I sort of outlined, which was, you know, to ensure that not only did we do proper analysis, but that we built a congressional fusion center. I'm probably the first person to ever talk about that. It's almost um, what I wanted to do, Greg, and I know this is so wheezy policy crappy thing, history, but I wanted to actually rebuild the OTA that Gingrich got rid of in 1995, the Office of Technology Assessment or whatever. I wanted to rebuild that in a way where they could keep up with data, sort of stay ahead of the technological bow wave. And while doing that also helped them with, you know, looking at phones, helping with phone subpoenas. That was all my idea. That I mean, that was me. And also building the team to do that was me. So um, so I created the title. I said senior technical advisor to be sort of unobtrusive. I didn't want to say, you know, chief, you know, bad guy tracker. And then, uh, <laughs> so, you know, and then uh, uh, after that, you know, of course there were some, there were real challenges on the committee as how far I wanted to go and, and how far that they thought we should go. But on the other hand, you know, we did some good things, but I was able, I think, to really create the first instantiation of a baseline congressional fusion center based on analysis and based on the authorities that they had. And I was very proud of it. Yeah, no, you. Did. I, I think we, meaning, you know, the American public, very, very lucky that you were in that place at that time. I don't know, you know, you said you accidentally won the seat, but, you know, I think I think we're it, it, it's for the good that 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 happened. Um, so in the book, you talk about this. There was a blackout period at the White House on J6 on the day of right where there's just no communications. They're, they're not, they don't release any communications. And the Presidential Records Act says that actually, you know, they're supposed to tell us all this stuff, but they didn't. So one of the things you did was get these text messages and try to figure out who sent them, you know, who they were from, what when they were sent and all this kind of stuff. And it reminded me reading about it of the, the scene in, in um, I was going to say Fargo, Argo, where the, the Iranian kids are trying to put together the the the, um, the papers that have been uh, pulped, you know, to try to figure out what the people look like. So uh, talk a little bit about that, because I think it's I, I think it's interesting just what the process is. And you you deserve some flowers for putting that that together. Uh, instead of flowers, I think, you know, I think a lot of people really wanted to put, you know, dog shit and light it on fire on my stoop, you know, Um <laughs> So and that was people on the committee too, trust me. Uh, you know, especially when I found the Jenny Thomas text. That was oh goodness. But I think um it doing identity resolution is a little harder than people think based on the databases you have access to. So if you get a big pile of text messages and it's just phone numbers, you have to validate every single one of those phone numbers and validate those timelines. And that is that's a job. And the other thing too, Greg, would a lot of people forget because it seems like people have short memories in the United States of America, is that those were the unprivileged text messages. Mm. Not the privileged <laughs> text messages, right? So there's probably another thousand or more uh, that were privileged that I've never seen the content to. Now there's also this, Mark Meadows fought his phone records for us. So we don't even know if he gave us all the unprivileged text messages because you got to validate that through metadata. So um, it's a, that's just the text, brother. That's not the 38 million lines of data from all over the 500 call detail records we had or the other email. Like I got all the text for Ali Alexander, right? And 
So you have all this stuff that you got to sort of blend together. But here's the great thing about call detail records. Here's a great thing about ones and zeros that are irrefutable is that with the PRA and when you're talking about the call diaries and call logs, Greg, the issue is, is that there were calls going back and forth in the White House because we had call records. The issue is either they had fired everybody. They're completely incompetent. Um, they were using other phones. They weren't going to the White House switchboard or, they, you know, they might have been using White House I'm saying might. Can I say might with air quotes on here? Yes, might. air quotes might. <laughs> air quotes. They might have been calling us uh, 881 prefix um, cell phones in the White House instead of going through the switchboard. Um, so I got to be very careful because I know all the White House route numbers. Like you're talking to that guy, you know, and it's so hard. I know we were talking before the show, Greg, about what I can release and what I can't. I don't know what I can or can't release anymore. And all I try to do is always think about what best serves law enforcement and the American public. And I do have to play the trust me card sometimes. And I think that is really, really difficult. But when it comes to you know merging text messages, call records, uh, when it comes to um, the thousand interviews that they did, merging document exploitation, looking at documents that have been produced, Looking at websites, scraping websites like uh, Patrick Burns, you know, mm -hmm. ridiculous website, <laughs> looking at all the fake cyber data, putting together what they talked about the cyber data, how they were leveraging the executive orders. Yeah, that was me. And, you know, so that was and then, you know, of course, great work by the staff, too, uh, for the actual committee. But again, it's what a challenge. But of course, there was so much communication going on during those dark times on the uh, on the call logs, because call logs and call records are two very different things, brother. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's great. Help? Was that too fast? Was that? No, too no. I think it's it's good. I think and I want I, I really am asking because I want people listening to understand what it was you were trying to do, the, the, the kind of the uh, the huge task that was before you uh, and how difficult it was until Mark Meadows turns over uh, his text messages. And I want to you, you brought him up. I want to talk about this is page 15 of your book. Months later. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Some of the world's greatest mysteries I'm reading now are why people do stupid things. Months later, <laughs> I would still catch myself scratching my head, wondering what had possessed Meadows to deliver incriminating evidence right into the hands of congressional investigators. Did he simply have an awful legal team? Were the texts provided by mistake? Can he have actually wanted to assist our work? Or was Meadows trying to play some kind of chess game with the select committee? Did he figure he could appear to be cooperating or maybe even make some sort of deal while not handing over anything useful? I tend to think it was the latter. There are multiple indications that despite how much he turned over to the committee, Meadows was trying to keep information from us. I bring up Meadows because I don't know if you're aware of this, but Meadows was indicted on Friday. Um, oh, oh, really? Yeah, oh he was. Oh, my gosh. How was weird in, is that? It's crazy. Uh, he was he was indicted in the state of Georgia. When, when you came on the 5-8, I asked you point blank, is Meadows just really dumb? And you said, no, no, he's not. Because I that was always my read. Is just, he's dumb, and, and Cassidy Hutchinson was just running the entire country for three, four months there. Um, so what's your current thinking about Meadows? I, I don't want to I don't want you to say anything you can't say, but um, now that other things have come out, we're a little bit farther along from when you wrote the words in the book. Have you solved the puzzle? And if not, what vowels do you have to buy to solve it? <laughs> I think the vowels we have to buy, you know, all uh, well, actually the vowels we have to buy is an A for the word Jack, uh, <laughs> you know, right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty quick. That was pretty fast. What a great, but um, no, I think um, 
I think with Meadows, you saw how aggressive he was to try to to, to turn the boat on those charges. And yeah. You know, the first thing I looked at, and you know, people are gonna be like, that's so funny, Deborah. I was like, Well, how many charges did he have compared to everybody else? Oh, the least. That's the first thing that Greg, you know, just, and I know I think differently than other people. I'm like, okay, let me look up what are those charges? Huh. I think I think he's trying to to edge it again. I think, Greg, he's trying to give just enough mm. to keep his opportunistic ass out of jail. And then I think he's also trying to signal that he's still ready for another Trump term at the same time, which I I think his ship has sailed. But he also is huge in the CPI. I don't think people it's it's almost like I'm trying to 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 warn people like, listen, the Conservative Partnership Institute, when Meadows gets out of Congress, when he's done with being a chief staff, Trump, you know, gives a million dollars to the CPI. You know, and the Conservative Partnership Institute is the Freedom Caucus, you know, that meets really close to, to the Capitol. So I think what he's trying to do is a couple things, trying to stay out of jail with the appearance of maybe cooperating in some respects, not giving it all up, trying to hide behind presidential privilege, at the same time trying to get the charges moved to federal, from state to federal, being the first one to do it, very, very aggressive. So I think what Meadows is trying to do is he, like he's always done, it seems like in his career, He's trying to actually grease all sides. And I think eventually that bites you in the rear, the rear parts. Mm-hmm. But um, for people to say Meadows is stupid, I think maybe, you know, I, I think he has done stupid things. Hell, I have. But as far as his attorneys and what he's trying to do, I feel like he's trying to have it always. And what he looks like is he looks like maybe the world's biggest vacillator and maybe the worst presidential chief of staff of all time. Uh, but also somebody who really does give credence to conspiracy theorists and criminals. And that's so he is trying to have it all um, and trying to, I think, leverage his religious belief systems, too. When we saw in the text, I mean, this guy's trying to have it all ways. And I think it just goes back to he is the number one political opportunist, maybe besides Trump in that old administration. He was. Okay. No, that's good. That's a good way to to, to categorize him. Um, you mentioned the P. We talked about the Presidential Records Act, which is the PRA. Um that's been in the news a little bit more lately because of like kind of the some of these legal fights that are going on with Trump. Meadows is named as one of the I forget what the, the designate designated people. Um, you know, when Trump leaves, it has some sort of access to these records. Does that mean anything to, to you or does that or is it just more you, you say in the book, it's pretty toothless, this thing? Yeah, it is. I mean, drive a truck through it. And, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the thing is, you know, you need to strengthen it. But again, if you just have your, you know, when you talk about the PRA and you're talking about call logs, somebody was hired to do that. It's, these are manually inputted and or the call diaries, too, about what the topics are and things like that. And that's why I'm, I'm telling the American people, Greg, I'm telling you, the call logs and the call diaries are shit. Uh, when you're talking about January 6th, they're just really almost worthless. I mean, the things that they did put in there gave some, you know, sort of some, I guess, baseline context before and after and by the way they talk about the 187 minutes you know it's over seven hours right of time um so i think that what we really need to look at and what i would hope at some point that would be released to the public are the actual call records of people that were calling into the white house at that time and not concentrating on the call logs which were pretty much manually inputted or you know uh, they were more subjective than ones and zeros how about that Okay, that's that's a very uh, diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, 
so okay and, and read in, in the book you know there's a lot of these text matches that are in your book which again is called the breach um they are disturbing it's disturbing reading this how many members of congress were just all in on the big lie and the coup attempt and is it you know and i think maybe it's a mix but were they really true believers or were they really just trying to play to win using the loopholes that are available i kept thinking of the um remember the pine tar game when george brett hit the home run With brett yeah, and then Billy Martin, the Yankees manager, was like, no, they had too much pine tar on his bat, and the umps overturned it. I First of all, I've never seen a human get more mad than George Brett at, in that moment, and rightly so. But, see, you know, Billy Martin's trying to use some dumb rules to in his favor. And you, you could make the case that, okay, the Republicans, they know they're going to lose. They're trying to just figure out whatever we can do. Let's do it. Do you think it's it's that or are they is it a true believer that no, the, the election was stolen? Like, what was your sense? Just, in a, I guess, in a general sort of way. I think you have a really an incredible mix um, in the Congressional Caucus right now. True believers, uh, those that are completely cynical, that'll say anything to get elected. Uh, then you have the I think the four left that are moderate <laughs> are right out of the <laughs> 217 or 18 or 220 that are in there, whatever it is, 221 now. Um, so I think by what I read in the text messages, and I think there are some that I didn't put in there from congressional representatives because I didn't know if they were going to be used by the DOJ and FBI. And I know that's sh probably shocking people right now. But, um, you know, when you have congressional members sending videos from foreign sources that talk about digital mules coming over from Romania and they're or I mean, I'm talking about foreign language videos, Greg. I don't know if I can be more specific about how much that bothered me as an American congressman an American citizen, somebody who's taken the oath, but you had specific foreign disinformation being pushed to Meadows from congressional representatives. And I hope hope that sinks into people. Um, from Romania. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. These are these are absolutely Eastern European intelligence. I don't know if they were Russian, Romanian, Ukrainian. You know, um, I just don't know. But the videos were so ridiculous. That's the other thing, too, right, is that it's comic in a horrific way, right? It's... Um, it's like you're being beat to death with a Mickey Mouse sign. You know, it's like it's it's funny as hell, but you're still dying. Right. And so and I think that when you read the text, that's really the sense that I had is that you did have congressional representatives and cabinet members were in this also. Yeah. Right. So cabinet members, congressional representatives, um, the biggest donors, everybody were sort of subsumed by this QAnon mythology or this religious Christian nationalism type of thing. Uh, so I would say that most of them on the Meadows text messages were true believers. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, one one other thing that's that's in the uh, in the ether right now uh, politically is that you now have conservative legal scholars, people on uh, Federalist Society, people, Judge Ludwig, you know these real, Ludwig, yeah, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, conservative, uh, the conserv the, the true conservative, not MAGA conservative brain trusts is out in front of this of this business about um trump and others who participated in j6 being prohibited by the uh, third clause of the 14th amendment from serving so what are your thoughts when you're reading this like it first of all your thoughts about it as a as a legal argument but also your thoughts about it as a hey why is this coming into the ether now like yeah. and are there certain members of congress we should be on the lookout for like what do you think i think it's an aspirational wet fart that's what I. <laughs> That's there you go. There's my legal opinion of the day. 
Oh, so, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I needed that laugh. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think what, <laughs> I think what we have, <laughs> I'm sure, I know everybody's digging, digging for gold, but again, when you look at his latest polling and what's going on and what's going to go into Congress, I mean, God, I mean, would it be amazing if they were able to pull that off? Yeah, but come on. I mean, everybody's trying to report everything they can right now. I know that California, I think, is trying to do something where they keep them off the ballot. So we'll see how that goes. I think that would immediately be one of the biggest mistakes. If California were to do to keep him off the ballot, he's still going to lose those 50, those 50 some ele- 54 electoral votes anyway. It's it's symbolic. And so I guess there's some things, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to do, Greg, is tell people, you know, that I, I get it that we feel like that we have some really stupid, unserious politicians, but the issue that we have, Greg, is we have an unserious electorate. And yeah. I think, you know, with the voters, and again, so if you say something like that, where you're trying to keep them off the ballot based on the 14th Amendment, that goes over the base on the GOP side. Again, it's a very difficult thing, I think, that you have to get around, that you're going to actually create more energy for that movement to to get Trump back into office. So anyway, yeah. that's that's just my analysis of that situation. Yeah, no, no, that's, I think that's a, that's, that's a good analysis. I think it's... <laughs> I'm very glad I asked. Okay. So now it, it's interesting to read the book now um, and then see what's kind of happening with with the the various indictments, right? So you talk about in the book and uh executive order 13848. Um Gal Suburban, my friend who's been on this show a bunch of times, she did a lot of work on this. I wrote about it last year. You cover it in your book. So tell us what that means first and we're we're now seeing some of these people indicted in Georgia, right? Because Rudy has been indicted, Sidney Powell has been indicted, other people, Patrick Byrne, you mentioned before, he was he participated in those meetings. He's not indicted. What do you think about it, and, and what can we expect down the pike in, in this avenue? You know, it's amazing. EO thirteen eight forty eight was written by some really incredible professionals that I know personally. That really a reaction to Russian interference, if you remember, right? This was mm-hmm. written. Know, years ago. So was it 18 or 19? I My dates, I tell you, I got so much in my head from being so old right now. I don't know if I'm losing part of my childhood memory. Um, so, but with 13848, uh, when I saw uh, what was going on with the executive order drafts from Powell was back in, I had just gotten on the committee, Greg, I, this has to be November. I mean, back in the day. And I get this and it might have been, I don't know if it was Gal, it was one of the um, open source intelligence researchers. Here I am on the January 6th committee, and I'm looking at text messages. We're, fi- and we're writing technology preservation letters, uh, data preservation letters, looking at how we get call records. I'm setting up the lab, not really thinking about, you know, gosh, there's a lot to do. You could probably, Greg, it was insane. So I get this message from somebody. This is why open source intelligence researchers are so important. Like Denver, you really got to look at what's going on with these executive orders. Check out Deep Capture. And I'm like, huh? Oh, Burns website? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so I go on deepcapture.com. I'm like, holy crap. I am linking up the data we have from the meeting in the White House on December 18th, the December 19th, be you know, be there, it's gonna be wild tweet. I'm linking that up with these meetings that were happening from the 18th to the 22nd and how they were rewriting the draft executive orders. And then on Scrib D, when you're looking on deep capture, and then I'm starting to get these other documents, EO 13848 is popping up everywhere, right? So people might've been in front of me as far as open source, 
But as far as the committee was concerned, nobody was on that executive order sort of push. So I delivered that to the gold team and with all of the deep capture stuff that I got from Burns' website, which is what turned me on to Burn, by the way, was really open source intelligence researchers that, I, you know, had really, there's so many unheralded uh, individuals that have reached out to me to point me in a direction. And what they don't know, and what I wish I could tell them more, is that I can sometimes, sometimes I can't confirm it, but sometimes I can validate that with ones and zeros in data. And uh, it is really incredible that when you look at EO 13848, how Flynn tried to use it, how Powell tried to use it, how Byrne tried to use it, right? How everybody tried to weaponize that for foreign interference. That helps the American public understand that there was a EO written in good faith, I believe, that was completely, um, what word am I looking for, Greg? It was weaponized. It was, it was oh, perverted. It, perverted. It, is it the was word. perverted and then weaponized as something that could validate um, military um, intervention and, and taking voting machines uh, in national asset tasking. We had emails coming from Waldron to Meadows about national asset tasking to go after foreign adversaries based on faulty evidence that came out of by utilizing the EO. I mean, holy shit, right? And so again, the American people need to know they were trying to use the instruments of law and executive order in a perverse way, as you said, to weaponize it, to validate all of the bizarre conspiracy theories that were really QAnon adjacent. So there you go. That's, that's pretty much uh, Denver's take after yeah. seeing so much crap. Yeah, yeah. Now, Byrne is an interesting guy. There, there, there's a uh, there's a a podcast called The Spy Affair um, that that um, the host of it was on my podcast years ago. And Byrne, it's about Maria Butina, and mm -hmm. she interviews her and Patrick Byrne, and Pete Strzok comes on, and it's this whole and it's it's amazing that this thing exists. But you know, Byrne, he's he's very fabulous. He comes across as a fabulist, you know, oh, in a while. Yeah. Um, Total fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely living in an alternate universe um you know he's like the multiverse of crazy right he's you know or he's like the moron dr strange you know um so i think that's what i think that's what we're dealing with uh but the stuff that he had on this deep capture site the data supposedly he had waldron stuff on there i mean you know everybody should go to deepcapture.com if you want to look into madness go ahead and scrape that out and start reading that Okay, good good bedtime reading. Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah. the Proud Boys, uh, who were you know involved with J Six, obviously they were convicted, and now the the sentencing is coming around. You know, that we're starting to hear about the sentencing. It's looking like very very long prison terms for these people, significant jail time, which is terrific. So, will Jack Smith continue to climb the ladder with the J Six planners? Because you've got people like Stone and Flynn. And Alex Jones and nothing has happened to them at all that we know of. What do you think is going to happen? I think I think he needs to continue to climb the ladder. I th what, what I would hope is that they were able to get some of the data we couldn't. As soon as I started seeing the indictments, I had, I put out a, you know, I, I guess it's not a tweet anymore. I actually call that side shitbird now, X-H-I-T-B-I-R-D. <laughs> so I, I, I put out a jit on shitbird and... Um, said that it's obvious to me that they got more data than we could get for the committee. I think that, I think they got a lot more phone records, but if anybody doesn't think Roger Stone, you know, what I've told people before, when we did the monster graph, when we ran Roger Stone's number as a reference number against the call detail records, one of the only ones connected to all the major groups in January 6th with Roger Stone, I didn't even have his records. Um, I, I, I've had my eye on that scumbag for a long time. 
And I think that people need to realize when you're talking about people like Stone, Jones, Flynn, Bannon, Powell, Wood, um, Byrne, Lindell, um, and then sort of the second tier people, their assistants, but you're talking about, you know, Waldron, Keschel, Ramsland, the people doing the cyber crap. Um, and then you're talking about the Jenna Ellis's, the Bernie Carrick's, right, that were working the constitutional alternate elector issues. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about the Romans and you're talking about all these individuals, the cheese bros, right? Um, all these individuals, when you're looking at them as a whole, I still think that we're starting to hit into the, as we saw with the indictments, we're still not hitting the people that really were, I think, the really the driving force behind January 6th in command and control. And that's the way, I, I, boy, you talk about full circle, Greg, command and control was really what I wanted to concentrate on when I was in congressional senior technical advisor for the committee. And I think that's the one thing we were lacking is how robust their command and control network was. And so I do hope that Jack has the data where he is tracking those individuals down right now. So are you saying that that Stone, Flynn, those guys were command and control? Or do you think there's other people who were command and control? And, they're, and there's oh, like no, another layer. Oh, yeah, they were, you know, they had so many minions, you know, and their assistants were pretty robust in contacting people. I mean, I mean, some of the people that I think people forgotten about are the Kristen Davises who worked for Roger Stone, right? And, you know, the Manhattan Madam, mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, the best people, all the best people. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think, you know, they had, they were so robust, you know, going to signal, as you saw with Roger Stone coming out with his signal group, Friends of Friends of Stone, you know, that there's a lot of encrypted app. Uh, we even saw that with the text messages. I mean, think about it, Greg. I just wish, why are congressional representatives talking about using Jeffrey Clark or Eastman and say, let's go to Signal, to Meadows, right? The chief of staff, of course, come on, right? Come on. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable to me that we're just not straight up saying, listen, we know that the, you know, the, the horsemen of the Grifterverse were behind a lot of this. So even if they don't get, will they have charges? I don't know. But I think people still need to be aware that people like Flynn, Stone, Jones, Bannon, and all those individuals are very dangerous. I mean, you know, they don't need to go on Signal. They can just use their Twitter DMs like Trump did. Yes. which Well, yes. I mean, how how nice, right? How nice for everybody to do that. I mean, uh, that would be that would be great. <laughs> so, just slip uh, into my DMs. That, you know? Or they could just be using LinkedIn DMs with nobody can get to either, right? I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that you can do to protect your comms. And I've told people, it was like, everything, you can get all the data at one point. No, you can't. It's perishable. If it's encrypted, if you delete it, if you're deleting apps and things like that, it's very difficult to get that unless you're you're very good or they're very stupid. Um, and, um, you know, and that's, you have to, you have to have some combination of those things. If somebody's good with data, it's very difficult to get to. Okay. Um, all right. It, the time has come on the podcast to talk about Ginny Thomas. Um, I've written about, I've written about these people a lot. Uh, I have to read from your book here because the text message is so batshit that we must, uh, by the way, I have it on, I have it on good evidence that, you know, I have an aunt who, uh, married my, you know, married into the family, but she, uh, posts crazy shit on Facebook, right? And oh. uh, and did through the Trump years. Ginny Thomas apparently is the crazy aunt that posts crazy shit. Like she is in real life posting crazy shit on Facebook. Okay, here's, totally. here's her text. The QFS blockchain watermarked ballots in over 12 states have been part of a huge Trump and military white hat sting operation in 12 key battleground states where 20,000 plus National Guard were deployed, Thomas wrote. 
Biden crime family and ballot fraud, co-conspirators, elected officials, bureaucrats, social media, censorship mongers, fake stream media reporters, etc. are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now in overcoming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so <laughs> like what I, 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 I've been trying and I've written about her a lot and I've written about Clarence Thomas a lot. I'm trying to figure out where she fits into everything is she just mad because he didn't bring her along on all 38 of the paid vacations like what's what's the deal with her like what do you you know the j6 committee seemed to treat her a little bit with kid gloves do you have any insight at all about about this that you're allowed I to talk do. about i do and they, <laughs> she was treated with kid gloves by the way you know to talk to her not under oath is a foul Right. That's the first thing. J6 committee should have had her under oath and should have recorded it. So you could see the American people could see for themselves that this wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice is not only sending text messages, has access to the president of the United States, to the chief of staff and to the president himself, but it's also sending emails downrange. It looks like they were copy pasted out of our another crazy Peter Navarro's immaculate deception book. Right. And this right. I mean, Think about what I'm – it's unbelievable. When you're looking at the text you just read, which is – insane might not be a good enough definition. It is it is hysterical. It's yeah. crazy, but it's almost a copy-paste from QAnon conspiracy theories, and it's really from a guy named Pachenik, right? That really is where it came from. Another crazy guy who has a lot – former military, but nuts – um, so we we have her just sort of copy pasting and cribbing from multiple conspiracy theories to come up with this initial text message, right? <laughs> to to Meadows, Jenny was treated with such kid gloves for one reason: she's the wife of a Supreme Court justice. That's yeah. it. When you look at who she belongs to and the groups she belongs to, like the Council for National Policy, all the groups with the Northern Virginia Deplorables, Code Red. You know, if people really knew how deep she was into the activist, the crazy activist portion of the far right, you would almost have to almost suspend you. You would have to be so deliberately obtuse in your own thinking to think that a lot of this isn't being sort of pushed right into Clarence's Clarence Thomas's frontal lobe. Um, they yeah. that's their their best friends, right? I mean. If you spoon with somebody, you usually share some of the same, you know, opinions, right? So I call it the spoon theory, right? So whether she's the big spoon or the little spoon, we need to understand right now that we need to look a lot more <laughs> into the Thomases. <laughs> we do. It's have you, have you met her ever? No, I don't. I maybe I. I mean, she's never been a big fan of mine. I mean, okay, yeah, no, I just I didn't know, you know. But but what what really, you know, the thing that blows my mind about this, it, it, it's almost like, you know, when Trump took office and he had access to the to the the presidential uh, daily briefs and just didn't read them, and Jared read like that to me, that would be the best part of the job. Like the rest of the part would suck, but I'm like, I want to know all the stuff, you know. And uh, Ginny's in a position to know so much stuff about what's really happening. I guess I'm sure there are things that are happening that we don't know about and, and shouldn't know about as part of the public. There are things that are, you know, a little quieter. There's that she's so well positioned to know actual things that are, and yet what she's posting is just the same shit that my crazy aunt posts on Facebook. It's, 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 it boggles the mind in a sense, you know, I, I, I think she's part of the diseased corruption 
uh, we see in our government. I told people the most powerful Republican in the country is Clarence Thomas because he is forever. Um, He's younger than Trump. He's going to be in the Supreme Court, you know, more or less way after Trump's dead. Um, So nobody can refuse Jenny Thomas in any GOP meeting. They can't refuse her. She has access on a level nobody can imagine. Everybody has to listen to her. Everybody has to respond to her. Everyone has to respond to Jenny Thomas because her husband is Clarence Thomas. That is what I've been trying to tell people is that corruption is endemic. And if you allow that to happen where you see the crazy coming from her and you listen, it's all circumstantial. But if you look at the votes that he took, if anybody can come to a conclusion, there's something very grotesque about what's happening in our government with our Supreme Court justices, with things like that. I don't know how to help them. And um, I mean, that's I think I told you about being burned out sometimes. It's hard to keep up with the interminable crazy uh, and the energy that it has, because that energy is always so much more than the energy of the stable and the sane. And so um, that's the problem that you have is crazy will not. Sometimes it eats its own tail. Sometimes it burns out. But most of the time, the sane have to get an, enough energy to fight back against that kind of crazy because it's it seems to be forever right now. Oh, it, it does. Um, arguing with the crazy like that is difficult, too, I have found, because they don't stick to one topic. They'll jump around and make you crazy trying to argue with them. You know, well, it, it, I mean, yeah. when you're living in multiple worlds at one time in your head, that happens. But also, <laughs> you know, you think, too, that. Sorry to make you spit out your water again, but, you know, when it comes to conspiracy theories right now on the far right base or the MAGA portion of the GOP, inconsistency is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, They want to hit you in the amygdala, and that's what they're very good at doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's it's a deflection. It's the only way, really, I think, to to get, you know, to get it to work where you can where they can function and like sleep at night. So, um, okay, moving on from Ginny, please. Uh, (laughs) um. The timeline, I still want to talk a little bit about the timeline of this whole, the whole, um, you know, the big lie, the whole stop, the, like the the, the push here. Um, that now we know, everybody now knows who Kenneth Cheesebro is. I, I For the longest time, I, I just assumed this had to have been made up. I mean, no one's named this, but uh, <laughs> I, I, this, this is some code name or something. Um, yeah. But no, he's a real guy. And apparently he was living in Puerto Rico and I think is now off the grid. I don't know if we're ever going to see this guy again. So, hey, who knows where he's gone? That's right. <laughs> but he wrote the memo that the New York Times was circulating was written on December 6th. He cites in it another memo um, on November 18th. Um, and, you know, in that he he goes into detail about, you know, the the, the alternate or fake electors and how this thing would work. But the fake elector thing was already there. Like Rick Rick Perry, another person whose name we haven't heard in any of this stuff. You talk about him in the book. This is in, in November, like on November 4th or something. You've done great research. Cause like, hold on a second. You knew I was covered with Rick Perry. I was waiting. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting, brother. I was waiting, but go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, you've got Rick Perry, you've got Don Jr. in text messages who quite, who talk about the fake elector thing. Noel Dumphy, who um, is the woman who was working for Giuliani and filed that lawsuit, in the lawsuit, Rudy was talking about it in 2019 that they were going to do this. So who is the prime mover? Why, what insight do you have? Talk about Rick Perry. Give us, spill some tea. <laughs> I tell you what, man, Rick Perry, I saw, what was that? I think, listen, you know, you're texting, you're, you are testing the memory of the old memory banks here. But I think he sent that like November 5th, I think is what yeah, I put something my like that. There. Yeah, because yeah, when I first saw that text, I'm like, 
who the hell is that from? You know, by the way, when we did the registrations on the number, it comes back to like governor Texas. <laughs> so we're like, we're pretty sure that's him, but he also <laughs> signed his text. So when he came out and said that it wasn't his text messages, I got to laughing because it says, Hey, give me a call, Rick Perry. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good content clue, Rick. <laughs> so it's so dumb. I, you know, it's so, these people are so dumb. They're like, I tell you, if I come out and say it's your phone number, it's your frapping phone number. And people know that they're like, yeah, if Denver comes out and says, we got you, we got you. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, when I saw that, when he's talking about alternate electors and Don Jr. is talking about it almost at the same time, if you remember, you know, in the mm -hmm. book, seeing those text messages really affected me. And um, not in a, like, I had to drink more bourbon, but um, that's why I call them the bourbon text. But um, I think uh, when you're talking about it, I actually still think it starts, you know, really aggressively in 2016 with Roger Stone um, with the first, you know, stop the steal type of stuff, thinking that uh, Trump was going to lose to Hillary. I think the alternate elector plan has been around for some time. It just didn't bubble up on November 3rd. Right. Come on. We know this, Greg. You're a smart guy. This alternate electric theory has been around for a couple of years. They were trying any way they could to see how they were going to beat Biden. They knew Biden was going to poll over Trump, and they knew that that was probably going to be who they were going to go against. So I think that's what you have, is that if you go back to Stone, which it all does, all of this does, um, this this is the ripple effect of a coordinated messaging going through Meadows to Trump and that coordination then going through Eastman, Clark, Cheesebro, and all the individuals that have been indicted. That's, that's, how, that's how I look at it. Very coordinated. Um, and I would say Stone is probably one of the major brainchilds of that based on his 2016 Stop the Steal um, strategy that he was trying to enforce that. Yeah, yeah. He seems to be the, the evil genius of the bunch. Um, now, I, I watched Rick Perry um, when he was on Dancing with the Stars because that was when our family was in the Dancing with the Stars phase. So I don't know if you ever watched that show, but uh, it's actually quite good, or it was. Now, yeah. But, um, you know, really well done, really got into it. And uh, anyway, you can tell a lot about a person from watching these shows because they're in this situation where they're you know, doing something they're not really comfortable with. They get frustrated. They get mad. You can tell, you know, there's people that I went in thinking, I don't like this person. And now I'm like, I love this guy. And there's people, you know, the opposite where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a big fan. And then after two episodes, I'm like, God, this person sucks. Rick Perry is dumb. He's just a big old dude, probably nice, but dumb. You know, not yeah. not somebody that's sitting around, uh, you know, Pouring over ob obscure legal theories to come up with. <laughs> no, with, uh... I don't. I don't see Perry as somebody who's you know in a study smoking a cigar, you know, reading War and Peace. I don't think that's our guy, <laughs> right? That's not our guy. And when you look at the text messages, especially when Kevin goes, "That just wasn't me." And and you know, but Rick really was a pusher. But uh, you know, you got to remember again, a, a former member of Trump's cabinet, um, in the know. Um, and talking to whatever scholars and, you know, I would love to have the phone records of a Rick Perry at that time um, of a cheese bro um, where we can actually look at geolocations and things like that. Uh, it would just be awesome to see. And I, again, I wonder if if uh, the DOJ has those. Uh, but again, Rick Perry, man, you are well, well ahead. You've done your research, man, because I was like, oh, wait, I got something for him. And in your book, Rick Perry, I'm like, shit, he's ahead of me. That's great. I love well, it. Rick Perry is an interesting character, too, because he's kind of he doesn't 
some of these guys are just very overtly evil. Like you listen to them talk for two seconds. You're like, you know, Mike Flynn. Yeah. You're a scary guy. You know, Roger Stone, you look like a Batman villain, you know, on and on Rick Perry. So he's avuncular, you know, he just looks like I'm coming to the Thanksgiving thing. And he's not scary in any way, but he's been around for the, you know, he's involved with the energy thing. So that all that nuclear reactor thing with Saudi Arabia early on. His name was mentioned. He's mentioned by name in the first impeachment about Ukraine. So he was involved with that. Now he's involved with this. Like there's a lot of things that he appears to know and yet he don't hear anything from him. It's very curious. Yeah, uh, he, you know, I met him, I shared whiskey with him in July of 2019 on a Montana ranch. So I was up there with him, Don Jr., McCarthy and all of that. And you know, even then, yeah, no, buddy. What, I got, what, hey, what did you, no what did you do in a past life to send you there? I... Oh man. Well, it was, it was sort of neat, right? I got this, I got this, uh, you know, this, I didn't know anything, man. You know, I, you know, I got this, I got this invite to like, Hey, do you want to go to, you know, Schwab's ranch? You know, I'm like, yeah, I didn't even, you know, Christian, like, sure. You know, I just won the nominating contest by one vote over a far right nut loan, you know, and here I am, you know, so they take me out there and I'm, you know, Don Jr. is there with Guilfoyle and there's, you know, Ross Perot Jr. And there's, you know, all these billionaires, you know, sort of walking around, you know, and I do okay, but I'm like, this is a little crazy, you know, and then Rick Perry's there and Rick really liked our whiskey. So we're drinking bourbon and chatting. And so uh, it was, it was, but to be honest with you, when the people started talking and we started talking about what the future of the Republican party was, Christy and I went back to the room. Here we are in Montana. I'm, I'm the golden child, new Republican who wants to legalize marijuana and it's for the Marriage Equality Act. And I look at her, I'm like, this is insane. Like, this is fucking nuts. Right. And she's like, man, these, this is weird. And I'm like, yeah, I said, this is, I don't think this is our people. <laughs> I don't think, I think, I don't know, billionaires with these ideas. I'm like, how did they get there? This is interesting. Right. And, uh, so yeah, so I I, was, I had some quality time with Rick then, and, and he doesn't he's not any I don't think he is an evil guy at all, yeah. um, but I but I do think that he definitely has some challenges in the ability to perceive things that are true or not true. Yeah, and he How seems like that? he seems like a nice person. I mean, you he, know, he was very kind to us, very yeah. nice to us. I mean, Clarence yeah, but, Thomas is supposed to be a nice person too. That doesn't mean he's not. Uh, well, you know. stupid yeah. can be a bigger threat than evil, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this this is true. Um, okay, wait. So you mentioned geolocations. I have to ask. This just popped into my head. This sure. business with Trump now and that Twitter turned the 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 DMs over to uh, to Jack Smith. Uh, much to uh, Elon Musk tried to not make that happen, obviously because that's what he does. But um, the theory is that other people have had access to the real Donald Trump Twitter account. So is it possible then? that having access to that information that Jack Smith's team can look at geolocations and see where people logged in, or is that not something that you can do? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what data they had. I don't think it's okay. I don't want to, again, I feel like sometimes I'm like Mr. Wet Blanket. Like sometimes everybody's like, Oh, Denver, my God, you gave us hope. And other times like we hate you that, you know, I don't know if the Twitter DMS are that important. Okay. Um, I, you know, and, you know, so I think it would be more important, right, to have their internal comms. You know, when you're talking about direct messaging, there's, it's people don't, sometimes people get pretty private, but you can tell where they are at times. 
uh, based on DMs and geolocations. But I think it's more important to get the metadata from their devices or their records specifically. And that's, that's probably all I should probably say about that right now that's when it fine. comes to geolocation on social media. <laughs> that's fine. Because the thinking was my friend LB, Stephanie Kopp, you know, said, well, you know, if somebody's logging into this and they're like in St. Petersburg, you know, that would be bad. Um, it would be really bad. There's, oh uh, God, I, I, so damn. Um, I would love, you know what, Greg? Um, I'm going to, I would love to talk about geolocation and IP geolocation with people and where people log in from and all that great stuff. But again, I think we'll see what happens with these Twitter DMs. Again, I don't think they're going to be quite as important. If they are, I'll just say, hey, thank goodness that they have that data, right? Um, but I think there's probably going to be other data that's more important than the Twitter DMs. Not trying to throw a wet blanket. I want people to be happy, but I just think there'll be other things well no i think it's 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 useful for you to tell us what what you think is going to work and what because there there is that tendency sometimes something will happen and it'll be like oh this means this and i'm like no just, just, just calm down we don't know yet we right? don't know anything you know just we don't know anything and that's why i'm so careful because we don't know anything yet until we know it oh boy wasn't that profound <laughs> <laughs> well i remember i had an intelligence instructor he goes denver the only way to tell the future is after it happens. And that is stuck with me forever, man. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, I think that's going to be the title of the episode. Okay. So you also tweeted this week about um, VoIP, bandwidth, Twilio, burner phones relative to the J6 taste on the topic of this, of this geolocation. <laughs> um, why, pray would you treat such a thing? Is this just an idle curiosity? Just a guess. Or? <laughs> just a guess you know. Just my background. Um, you never know when people are downloading apps that are very difficult to track or they're switching phone numbers every week uh, <laughs> using specific applications because you can. Uh, I don't think people know that, by the way. You don't really need a burner phone if you're really good at your apps, your app game. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, we saw some really interesting phone numbers that didn't match up, didn't make sense. We knew phone numbers were being leased, but we only had one side of the call. Uh, we we saw some things that were burner adjacent for sure. Burner um, <laughs> adjacent. <laughs> so, but again, that goes back to at the beginning, right, Greg? What do I if I told people? I think part of me wants it to come out through the complete legal process because it has to. But if I'm telling people like I I was never a hundred percent on these things because we never had the other side of some of these communications. Number one, number two. We knew based on frequency analysis, for instance, Greg, if I know that you and your family likes to call one person and I say that 73% of the time you and your family are calling another family member, right? Now, if I if I take that and we see a phone number that pops up on the net from nowhere and it has a different prefix but a different suffix, it still has the same four, the last four numbers manually put in to make maybe for ease of memorization or something like that. And I got it 74% that you and your family are calling that number, but I can't get the other end. It only popped up for five days and disappeared. You start to have these assumptions. It has to be something that you and your family, based on percentages, based on call outs and timing of those calls, that phone is probably a burner. We find out it's a VoIP number. So now we're like, nope, it's probably a bandwidth or Twilio app or some other type of app. And I'm not going to say we do know the app. Could be another type of app. Uh, oh, shit. Now we know where it comes from. We know that number popped up. We know it was only used this long. We know based on frequency that the same people are calling that number at the same times with the same amount of times to that specific number. That's a burner, right? Or, or an app, maybe not yeah. a burner phone. That's an app. 
Um, and I'm trying to be very careful about this and phone guys will know that there's, there's some, some subtleties here, but that's a bad thing. So I, my guess is maybe that the DOJ probably has seen, has actually captured the apps or different phones that seem to pop up on the net and drop down that are possibly apps or burners. How about that? That's good. I like that. That's lots of information in there. You know, uh, now I bought all these burner phones for no reason. I just needed to no, download no, yeah. an app. Just yeah. get, yeah, I got an app on my phone. I can send. You don't need all those phones. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, we're we're pushing on an hour. I don't want to keep you too Sorry, long. Here, here, yeah, oh no, I, I'm happy to talk. As like um the the uh, here's a question I, I think is a good is a good one to wind down with. So you know, since your book came out, uh, are there any revelations that have been out there? That have completed that that helped complete the puzzle for you in your mind about what really happened and what is your current like theory larger theory um, about the whole plot itself and how it all came together? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, for me, I think they've done a pretty tremendous job. The alternate elector things was something I've always we saw that state legislators and alternate electors were in contact with Meadows, and I always thought it really did go back to our boy Eastman. Right. Mm. You know, so there's, you know, so there's definitely some things where, did I know about cheese, bro? Yeah. Was he mentioned multiple times in the January 6th committee report? I believe he was, but you know, he was never really a big player to me. Um, and it's not that, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty good at things, but you know, some things can still surprise you if you don't have the complete picture. So it was actually a little bit worse than I thought, to be honest with you. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, because I was sort of looking at, for us, for our team, we were looking at, and you probably know this, we were looking at specifically, you know, who was actually, what was the command and control architecture of what was happening that day? Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, other white nationalist groups, right? When you're looking at the Willard, when you're looking at all these things that I was, and, and I was looking at the EO too, right? The executive order, foreign interference, you know, who was pushing the NSA hammer and scorecard, Italian satellites, you know, we were really rolling hard on that. Then the phone records, you know, why was Ali Alexander so connected to everybody? Why were the assistants, you know, to each of these individuals so active? We were looking at really this amazing sort of decentralized command and control architecture. Alternate electors I was interested in, but, you know, I'm like, yeah, that was really important. I can see why they would do that with Mike Pence and all that shite. However, I think what the DOJ and the FBI, they're really crystallizing is how robust that was. So, yes, very happy to see that. But when it goes back to all of this, and what I want the American people to know is that these were many, many disjointed plans that came together very quickly based on a couple key movers and shakers. Trump obviously wanted to win, but without some of those people behind the scenes, when, when you're talking about the Epsteins, the Scavinos, when you're talking about the comms paths, when you're talking about these massive ways of money and fundraising, when you're looking at the $255 million that was raised you know, over this time, what I want people to know, it's the actual online radicalization and the ability to twist the base that's the most important thing of January 6th. The horror shouldn't be alternate electors. The horror shouldn't be all these awful things. The horror should be that the base supported these actions. It's a horrific thing to try to get people's arms around. And yeah, yeah, I'm going into my analysis thing here. But I would hope that what people need to understand is that it is the electorate that needs to be manipulated for these type of actors to be as successful as they are. And if there's that much money in the fantasy ecosystem, how do we combat that, Greg? Yeah. How do we combat that? I can say, look, I've been pretty successful in my life. I'm, I'm sitting on 50 acres right now. I'm looking at a river down by my house. You know, I'm, I have distilleries. I've done incredible in business. I was a military intelligence. I've, I've had an amazing life. 
I am a pimple on a hog's ass compared to the amount of money that's being funneled, the amount of money available for this message to get out through alternate media and social media. We are in an information war. It's the new forever war. And I don't think, I don't think people are still prepared for what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's, that's a, that's a great, uh, way to wrap it up. So, um, yeah. So I have one last question for you. Sure. Okay. Um, Tough one. The, the question <laughs> is, the question is, uh, I'm up here in New York sitting on half an acre and uh, looking at the cars go by outside and the motorcycles yeah, and, and the bicycle riders, because they put a bicycle path and, you know, what they'll do is they'll just shout at each other like they're talking. And I'm like, dude, I can hear you through the window. Like, stop. Like, I, so uh, anyway, my question is, where can somebody like me up in New York score some silverback whiskey? Like, what's the Oh, new? my goodness. Yes. Um, the best place to score that whiskey, uh, we're in the Poconos in East Stroudsburg. Okay. So we actually have a distillery there. We're in Pennsylvania now. We're about to get into the stores there. Um, sadly, uh, we Kentucky, Louisiana, the places we just got distributorship to. Uh, Washington, D.C., though. New York, we're not there yet. But I'm telling you, New York is big time on our list because the liquor laws in New York are 10 times better than Virginia. Um, so we got to get there quickly. We actually looked at a place. Was it the Finger Lakes? Mm -hmm. um, we looked at the wine trail up there. We were actually going to uh, buy a place there, but we decided to buy the place down in PA. So New York is a place we want to expand to. So we'll be there soon, but you can go to the Poconos and then PA and get our stuff. Okay. Okay. Is it one of these things? Cause last time you, that I spoke to you, you said, Oh no, we're, there's none left. You know, the batch is well, over. It's uh, the, all, well, when you're talking about, we, we got new bourbon coming out all the time, new whiskey okay. coming out all the time. So, yeah, and also P Street Wines in D.C., um, actually, if you're in a place that can be shipped, you can actually get our liquor shipped if you go to uh, the D.C. distributor of P Street Wines on DuPont Circle. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, so, again, oh, and we didn't we didn't talk about your podcast, which is called Mighty Peculiar, and it's out on yeah. Wednesdays. At, is it is it live? You do uh, We live? actually tape it usually on okay. Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. We get on live chat with people So because it's almost impossible to live chat and do it live at the same time. So yeah. we wanted to do that. So we have YouTube, um, but we also are now on Apple and Spotify and Google and all the cool podcast places. So excellent. But okay. Pretty fun. Okay, good. So, okay. So the podcast is called Mighty Peculiar. Um, the book is called The Breach, The Untold Story of the Investigation into January 6th. Denver Riggleman, thanks so much for joining me today. This was Thanks, great. man. And thanks for being patient with me. I appreciate you. <laughs> Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Serena Zabriskie, Marie Cast, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, Kimberly Johnson, and everyone else at MSW Media. If you'd like to support this program, get three friends to subscribe. The more downloads I get, the better the show does. You can also subscribe to the 58 the live YouTube show I do with my friend Stephanie Koff, a.k.a. LB. Tune in tonight for your Friday night hang. Most importantly, please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $6 monthly or $55 yearly subscription funds my work on the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Be kind to each other. Try and enjoy yourself. And until next time. We shall prevail. MSW Media.
no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. The issues of the day are really complicated. Everybody loves a good hot take, but really understanding an issue takes some digging. I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. Join us each week as we dig deep into pressing legal topics. Listen to It's Complicated anywhere you get your podcasts and check out our YouTube channel.